Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, welcome to episode 9 of X-Lapsed. Uh, we're now three-quarters of the way through Hoxpox here, and today we've got House of X number 5, and this is a highlighted in red book, if we're, according to our Hoxpox reading order page. So, uh, does this mean that everything's about to get turned on its ear? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today, so let's hop right in. House of X number 5, November 2019, cover date. The story is called Society. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors by Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White-Sabalski. $5 book hit the shelves on September 18th, 2019. Now, uh, stop me if you heard this one. Uh, we, we open with a mostly blank quote page, which I, uh, I won't say anything more about. Uh, then... Polaris and Magneto have themselves a chat. And uh, from the looks of it, it looks like the coin must have landed on heads this time because Lorna and Magneto are father and daughter at this point. Uh, Though that does seem to change with the weather and uh, movie rights ownership, but who am I to judge? Uh, Now, they talk about things such as settling. You know, humans as a species kind of flourished and took off uh, when they settled down and, and formed societies. They stayed in one place. They made homes, communities, stuff like that. And uh, this is basically what the mutants are working toward right now, which, I don't know about you, it doesn't sound quite as novel as I think it's supposed to here, because uh, we've had plenty of mutant settlements over the years, right? I mean, Genosha, of course, we had Mutant Town during the uh, population boom, we had Utopia, where the X-Men actually were similarly on an island, uh, and wherever the hell they were hanging out during Marvel's incessant Inhumans push, where they were just elsewhere to altogether. Um, anyway, the conversation is cut short by the arrival of a fivesome of mutants. Now we've got Tempest from the, you know, the Cyclops-founded X-Men Bendis era. We got Proteus, which, uh, hmm, uh, Hope Summers, Elixir from New X-Men, and, oh boy. Now, uh, my man Jason C. on Twitter warned me that, uh, well, this guy... Old GB was going to be making an appearance, and wouldn't you know it, here he is. Uh, This is the one-note joke character from the Bendis run. Folks, I give you gold balls. Not literally, but here he is. Now, for as much of a fan as I've been of Bendis, um, because I, I, you know, I I think a lot of us have this knee-jerk, and this might just be me in my own echo chamber here, we might have this, like, little knee-jerk reaction to seeing Bendis's name attached to certain projects. Uh, I know when he came on Superman, I was just, I was not looking forward to that. 
After the first few issues, I, I kind of dug it, but then after the next few issues, I really, really hated it. Now, I think he could definitely be a bit of a one-note writer, especially when the subject matter, it doesn't seem to be something he's all that passionate about. Um, you know, for instance, his X-Men run, and I might just be projecting. I do that a lot. But I don't exactly feel as though that was necessarily dripping with passion, you know? Uh, that might just be that there were no, there was no big, you know, Marvel movie, you know, non-whatever-the-hell company they were with. No Marvel Universe, expanded universe, however they do it. Marvel Cinematic Universe movie uh, for them. Because uh, it seemed like any time a property got a movie, Bendis would somehow find himself into the writer's seat of that property. So, the X-Men, what are you going to do? Now, when compared to his more, I guess, seminal works, you know, Avengers, Ultimate Spider-Man... Bendis's X-Men felt more like just a dude showing up to work and cashing a check. Um, and maybe, you know, throwing the readership, readership off the scent by putting an A-list writer on X-Men that Marvel was purposely, you know, second-slotting the X-Books because, of course, they didn't have the movie rights. Now, uh, Hickman, uh, he ain't a one-note writer. And uh, this Hoxpox endeavor feels a lot like a, a passion project for him, so... I think I'll put my gold balls worries aside and uh, be uncharacteristically optimistic and open-minded that maybe he'll be better used here than being the, the butt of every gonad-related joke Bendis could uh, come up with or he could find in his, you know, jokes-to-tell-teenagers book uh, that he, he drew so much inspiration from. So, with that said, who's ready for that other shoe to finally drop? Turns out that gold balls... Gold balls are actually, get this, eggs. Now, where where did we see things that kind of looked like eggs before in this story? Huh. Now, along with the other four mutants, these eggs become, well, they become fertilized. So, uh, gold balls make of the eggs. Proteus warps reality enough so that they're viable. Hope injects them with preserved mutant DNA. Elixir, quote, kickstarts the process of cellular replication. Tempest speeds up time. Hope then amps up and sort of unifies the powers of her partners. And uh, from here, we jump back to that scene. The scene that I had a lot of questions about. The one back in House of X number one, where Xavier is standing in front of that really gross-looking tree with those even grosser-looking pods or eggs below it. From those pods, of course, come people one of whom appears to have optic blasty powers, and, well, there's a pretty good reason for that. So, uh, to me, my X-Men, indeed. Now, the professor plops an optic visor on the mutant's dome and uses the Cerebro helmet to import some anima essence into this husk. And voila, we got us a Cyclops. Ah... <sighs> And uh, we will talk about that later. Uh, for now, Cyclops asks the professor if their mission was successful, to which he's given the big ol' thumbs up. The rest of the hatchlings are revealed as being, well, everyone who uh, was involved in the assault on Orcus. So Gene, Nightcrawler, Monet, Most Mystique, Husk, Wolverine, and Archangel. So how do we feel about that? I, I really don't know. Let's read on. Uh... Storm enters the scene and calls all of the mutants to their feet. And uh, I don't think I like her tone so much here. 
This really doesn't feel anything like the storm that I know, and honestly, I'm struggling to reconcile that that any of the X-Men would be cool with this, you know, weird resurrection process. It almost feels more like the Professor is, like, lording over a cult rather than a superhero team or a, you know, a race. Uh, more, we'll, we'll talk more about that as we, uh, as we work our way through, though. From here... The double page spread of credits, which, if I'm being completely honest, uh, kind of came out of nowhere, and uh, maybe for the first time yet, I, I actually appreciated it because it felt, yeah, you know, it was like kind of welcome to pull us away from this massive bombshell that was just dropped on us. It gives us not much time, but a little bit of time to, like, just let it sink in and uh, and maybe catch our breath because this is this is a pretty big deal. Um, Next up, uh, back to the story here, Storm is in the process of introducing the hatchlings to, you know, the greater uh, Krakoan population, and this is pretty weird. Um, Now, as mentioned, she's taken court in the middle of, like, a whole bunch of Krakoa-dwelling mutants. Some of them, or many of them, are familiar. Um, And she begins with her introductions, which is to say she just begins shouting into this field of mutants. And then the mutants in the crowd chant back. Uh, you know, she's like, who are these people? and uh, Or do you see these people? And the mutants chant back, we see them, but do we know them? And I'm not sure if many of my listeners have ever attended Catholic Mass, but there, there is, at, you know, probably about halfway through the service, there is this element of, like, back and forth between the priest and the attendees during the, uh, during the deal. Now, if you've gone to Catholic Mass, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And if I were to deliver the line that the priest does, you could probably, like, you know, motor memory just reply with what the worshippers say in response, you know? Peace be with you, and also with you, you know, da-da-da-da-da, all the way through, where there is this back and forth. And uh, that's not a good thing or a bad thing as as pertains to this. It's just something that is, you know? It's part of the service. And I think it's pretty universal. I Just this past weekend, I attended a Catholic wedding that was conducted completely in Spanish. And uh, despite knowing, you know, un poquito de español, I could still follow those bits because I, I guess it's universal to Catholic Mass. So what I'm trying to say here is that this scene <laughs> reminds me of those bits of Catholic Mass, which um, really just, uh, it changes the tone. Um, of exactly what I uh, would expect from from the X-Men a little bit. You know, Storm introduces Cyclops. She asks for his name. She asks how she knows him. And following his reply, she claims that, you know, she does recognize him. He is her brother. And she turns to the crowd to ask what he is, to which they all rousingly respond, mutant. You know, so it's this back and forth between Storm and her, uh, and, and the, you know, the, the group. Jean is next, followed by Monet, who is now just going by the codename Penance full-time. I, I didn't know that was a thing. Maybe that's new. Maybe I just missed it. By now, we get the point, though. They're all going to be reintroduced to the cheering Krakoans, and we're going to, you know, fist bump and cheer that they're, you know, for their being mutants, you know. Uh, off to the side, Xavier and Magneto are watching this go down, and they have themselves a chat. Now, they're happy that this plan worked. And uh, that the fallen X-Men have been reborn, but they can't shake the feeling that whatever they've done is just not good enough. You see, so many mutants have died over the years. Bringing back, like, eight of them is just a drop in the bucket. The subject of Genosha comes up, to which Magneto posits that their job won't be done 
until Genosha is no longer referred to as, you know, simply a grave, you know, because the 16 million mutants that were, you know, massacred there in the, in the genocide. Uh, who's ready for info pages? Because uh, we got a bunch of them. <laughs> and uh, these are all about the resurrection process, and I'd say they're pretty key to a better understanding of what we just saw. We've got a few components of the process to discuss here, starting with the genetic base. Now, this refers to Mr. Sinister's library of mutant DNA. And thankfully, this is the only mention of a library or librarian we're going to get this issue, so no worries about uh, the third power. Uh, Sinister's library is stated as having the DNA of nearly every known mutant on Earth. And though it started as biological samples, they've been converted into holographic sequences. And we also get a breadcrumb or two here dropped regarding the potential for de designer modifications somewhere down the line, which is as intriguing as it is terrifying. Now, the uh, next component is the host. This genetic base is introduced into organic matter. Now, this is the creation of a, human, uh, of a mutant husk inside of those golden eggs. And we already discussed that while it was happening uh, in the previous scene. Worth noting, we learned here that Sync and Mimic could uh, fill in as substitutes in the process if need be, and, uh, I mean, last I remember, I thought Mimic wasn't actually a mutant, was he? Maybe they changed that. Uh, and Sync's been dead for, like, 25 years, right? <laughs> Didn't he die in Counter-X? I, I thought that was, like, the whole point of uh, the Generation X Counter-X story. Then again, we are dealing with Resurrection, and, uh, I mean, it's been probably two dozen writers on the X-Book since then, so... Things change, and I'll just roll with it. Uh, we find out that Proteus is using a Charles Xavier husk that he burns through on a weekly basis. So basically, he gets a new Chuck Bod to inhabit every week. Next component is the mind. And uh, this is really weird, and uh, much like this entire process to this point, I'm not sure quite how I feel about it. Uh, it turns out that the professor uploads the, quote, latest version of every mutant's mind on a weekly basis to store in the Cerebro Helmet. This is referred to as being the true essence of the mutant. And we saw him, for lack of a better term, download Cyclops' latest version into the hatchling uh, before the credits scene. Um, th there's a note here that there'd never been any experimentation with combining a mutant mind with a husk that isn't their own. And I guess that means that Proteus never died? Because, I mean, we do have Proteus in Xavier bodies. I don't know if maybe that's something altogether different since Proteus is sort of a thing onto himself, um, uh, you know, as it pertains to his powers and his, uh, you know, manipulation of reality and stuff like that. He might just be his own, his own sort of animal. Um, now, the scale of this endeavor is now explained, and this basically alludes to the idea that Xavier will ultimately be able to bring back every single mutant lost. Which, I mean, that's, that's millions of them. And uh, we get a lot of number crunching here that I won't delve into too deeply, but the uh, quick and dirty is that they're hoping to resurrect 30,000 mutants a week via this process. So that's, that's a whole lot of folks. We learn that the five mutants that are doing the grunt work, you know, Hope and the gang, uh, their experience is described here as being something akin to a high, but not narcotic in nature. And uh, this might just be me... Uh, you know, not trusting the professor, but I wonder how much of this feeling is organic and how much of it, this euphoric feeling is being, I don't know, kind of suggested at them to keep them dutifully birthing babies by the professor. Eh. You know, I, 
I've been trained not to trust him. So anytime you give me an inch to distrust him, I'm going to take a foot. Uh, the scenes now shift to the United Nations. Xavier, Beast, and Emma Frost are celebrating the fact that the United Nations has voted to recognize Krakoa as its own, you know, sovereign nation. We learn that Emma might have had a little bit to do with mentally coercing, coercing the Russian ambassador, who may or may not have been on that Krakoa tour back in House of X number one. Uh, to be honest, she looks a lot like Dr. Gregor from Orcus, though I know it's not her. The trio of mutants share a toast, with Xavier promising that there are even bolder things to come. Which, I tell you, uh, that, that's worrying, isn't it? Uh, I mean, bolder than what happened here? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure my heart can take it. Because this, this has been a wild issue, hasn't it? I mean, there has been um, a lot to chew on here. Now, from here, we get an info page, and uh, it's a rundown of the nations of the world that have chosen not to sign the treaty with Krakoa. We learn that over 100 nations have accepted a trade deal, but there were 14 that declined. Now, most of them are, you know, real countries and nations, uh, but notable among them are Latveria and Wakanda. So we might get some, you know, political intrigue here, which, eh... <laughs> I could take or leave. I'd prefer to leave, but uh, what are you going to do? Then we get two pages of a global mutant diplomacy map, which feels like a wholly unnecessary waste of two pages. Uh, the nations colored in red are the holdouts, and, I mean, we already saw who they were on the previous page. We don't really need to see where Russia is on a map. We know where that is. Uh, we jump back to Krakoa, and it's two days later. Wolverine has stood before a Krakoan gateway, and he asks the professor if he's sure about what he's about to do. He suggests that there are mutants out there who are beyond saving. Magneto takes issue with this, and he posits that if that were truly the case, would Wolverine or himself even be welcomed here? Which, I mean, I suppose he's got a point there. Now, Sage and Cypher prepare for some arrivals, and boy howdy do we get some. From the gateway, I'm going to try to get through as many of these as I can recognize. We've got Wildside, uh, you know, from the MLF, uh, and I'm sure other things since 1991. A Random, the, uh, you know, the dude whose arm turns into a large-barreled, multi-barreled gun uh, who first showed up back in Peter David's X-Factor. Mr. Sinister, he finally makes a current year or current era appearance. Uh, Lady Mastermind, Gorgon, who I, th I thought was an Inhuman, but I guess not, uh, Mesmero, Mentalo, Celine, Emplate, uh, you know, Monet's weird brother who sucks bone marrow with his hands, Exodus, who uh, I don't think we've seen since X-Men Legacy, back uh, when Mike Carey was doing that back in the day, uh, Sebastian Shaw, who I think is on his ninth life, Forearm, another guy from the MLF, uh, Dakin, the... Uh, the son of Wolverine, I believe he was Dark Wolverine when they did the whole Dark Reign thing. Astra, Azizel, so Nightcrawler's uh, devil father. Black Tom. Cargill, uh, I think she was Frenzy back in the very the very start of uh, X-Factor, when it was still the original five. Uh, Marrow, who showed up around Operation Zero Tolerance. Animax, Callisto, you know, the Morlock with the, with the eye patch, And finally... The biggie, Apocalypse, shows up. Now, Apocalypse recognizes Krakoa, which obviously stands to reason after everything we learned last chapter. It's funny here, he puts his hand out like Snow White, and a, like a bird lands on his finger. It was, 
it's not something I'd expect to see. Uh, he and Wolverine have some uh, contentious words with each other here. Uh, it's like, Wolverine ain't happy to see Apocalypse, but what is he going to do? Magneto interjects. He basically lays down the law for Apocalypse by more or less saying, Hey, dude, don't ruin this for us. We got something good going on here. We don't need you going into business for yourself. To which Wolverine asks Apocalypse, Hey, are there going to be any problems? Apocalypse says, No. Everything's cool. And what's more, Apocalypse couldn't be prouder of his fellow mutants at this point, uh, suggesting that they may have finally become what he's always intended for them to be. And uh, this scene is, uh, it's really good stuff. I really, really like the way this scene is playing out. Apocalypse declares that from this point on, there will no longer be good mutants and evil mutants. Now and forever, they are one people. Xavier gives the here here and proclaims that Krakoa is for all mutants. And we close out with Apocalypse and Xavier shaking hands, which, uh, you know, that ain't a scene that I uh, ever expected to see. So, um, yeah, let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> we probably ought to start with, uh, you know, that, uh, that little resurrection thing, right? That, yeah, not too big a deal. Now, uh, resurrection has been a, a pretty big theme for this event. I mean, going back to even, you know, the uncanny lives of Mora and her mutant resurrection ability, it's, it's something we've been playing with a lot here, and, uh, Makes me wonder if this method of bringing back the dead may have been, I don't know, maybe in, in a, at least a some part uh, inspired by her uh, ability and talent. Uh, it's still, we've yet to see Mora in X to the First. Um, judging by the cover of House of X6, I'm guessing that's going to be rectified before long, because I think that's Mora. I, I, have, I have every reason to believe that that is her front and center on that cover. Um... So these X eggs, um, hmm. <laughs> How do I feel about the X eggs? Uh, I don't know. Um, I've been told to prepare for something pretty big. I'm assuming this is it. I don't have any sort of confirmation that this is it. There might be something even bigger coming. Um, but you know, uh, going just with my my gut. Um, part of me absolutely hates it. And at the same time, part of me hates myself for kind of getting lost in the cleverness of it. Um, I mean, Hickman made gold balls <laughs> into a, an actual like player here. He was a one-note testicle joke that Bendis crapped out a few years ago. And he's right now one of the most important and vital mutants to, to, you know, to exist, and, uh, I like it. <laughs> I mean, um, not bad at all. Uh, the way they put this all together, and, uh, sure, there was a bit of convenience at play, but, I mean, who'd have thought that we were going this direction, uh, when we started this, you know? Um, it was very interesting, and, uh, you know, despite the fact that it is a huge shock to the system, it's so clever that I'm almost willing to give it a pass and just enjoy the ride, which is very uncharacteristic for me as a, a reader of comics and the X-Men in, in particular. Um, 
uh, let's to to you know get a little bit deeper. I guess I hate how this, at least for the moment, removes like any and all stakes from just about everything. You know, if an ex, this is like one of the reasons why I can never get into like Transformers or anything that concerns robots, because if a robot's destroyed, you you build a new robot. I, there, I, to me, there are no stakes there. Um, and now, if an X Man dies, eh, no bigs. You know, we'll just we'll just grow another. We have we you know we have the science, we have the technology, we can do this. Um, so far, though, Hickman's proved to me that he's thinking several several steps ahead, and uh, I gotta assume this isn't quite as cut and dry as all that. And uh, honestly, now. Um, you know, I said that other shoe dropped Now it's almost as though I'm waiting for a third shoe to drop And, uh, I tell you what, that's a good place to be Um, this deep into the story and I'm still I'm still gonna be looking for hints I'm still gonna be looking, uh, for, for things to pick up on And, uh, if you've ever listened to anything else that I've done Especially when, when we discuss things that have multiple parts and things that are, you know, quote-unquote decompressed. I always complain about uh, part four. Part four of six, to me, is the biggest indictment on current year comics. And here we are, about three-quarters of the way through this, so right around the place where part four would be. I mean, this is... we're just past where part four would be, actually. But uh, it's that, you know, three-quarters of the way through thing where... All you are is dealing with uh, recaps of what happened and very little in the way of uh, useful information, uh, if you're following along. This turns that all on its ear. And while we're, we're building on everything that's, uh, that's been laid out for us here, we had this very firm foundation and we're building on it. And it's still, um, I still don't know where it's going. You know, um, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the X-Men. Let's, you know, we, we talked a little bit yesterday, uh, in, in discussing, uh, Wayne's email or his, his comment on the blog about how the X-Men don't usually get those moments to be happy. And, you know, that's, that's true. They don't often get their, uh, their happy ending here. It's very seldom that, you know, it's... You know, the X-Men are all standing there smiling, looking at the camera as the credits roll. And uh, we still have a quarter of this to go. And honestly, who's to say that the Cerebro helmet doesn't get destroyed at the end of it? Who's to say we open up next issue and, and you know, Apocalypse stomps on the, the Cerebro helmet? That, that could happen, which would render a lot of this stuff moot. These big reveals, this big step forward would just be gone. And honestly... I'm not sure how I would feel about that. Would I be happy that that's no longer an out, a back door? Or would I be upset that we bu- we spent so long building to something and, you know, we pulled the rug out from under us here, you know? And again, I don't know what's coming up. So that could happen. That might not happen. Maybe we'll get some playing around with those genetic, or those designer variations of the genetic data. Because, I mean, that's there's a lot of meat on that bone. Um, you just never know what might char- what might turn up. Uh, maybe they're uh, maybe they'll be forced to put an essence into the wrong host body, and everything will go crazy. There is uh, 
there's a lot to this. There's a lot of ways we can go, and uh, none of it is one note. You know, there are so many layers to this, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, this really assuages a lot of my initial concerns going in here. Uh, I heard there were sweeping changes, and when I hear sweeping changes when it comes to current year comics, it ain't this. This actually feels thought out. This feels like we're planning for something. Uh, we we already know what's happening five steps down the line. Instead of, hey, we'll just put someone else in the suit. Or, hey, we'll kill somebody. Or, hey, we'll reveal a secret identity. Because that's usually what sweeping changes are in 2020. Uh, where this feels... Or 2019, I guess, when this came out. This is good, though. This is... Uh, it's keeping me on my toes, and it's keeping me invested. And damn, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Krakoa as a cult. Now, this didn't sit well with me. The presentation of the hatchlings by Storm, you know, calling out to the pulpit here, ah, I didn't like it. I felt like Storm was trying to foment, like, a movement. Um... But, you know, there is there is a part of this I do like. And it, and it's all, you know, me making a hot take prediction here. But uh, the Krakoans, they're almost fanatical at this point. You know, they're, they're chanting, mutant. They're pumping their fists, mutant, mutant. Um, it, it feels like, for lack of a better term, like ethnocentrism. Or ethnocentricism. How do you, however you say that, I, I think you know what I'm trying to say here. It's just I uh, can't get it through my marble mouth. It makes me wonder if we're headed for like maybe a tipping point where the mutants might start to become what they hate most. You know, the the overly proud humans who just dismiss mutants. Now we have mutants that are that are almost fanatical in in what they are. Uh, again, I mean, there's a lot of meat on this bone. Uh, either that, or I'm I'm reading way too much into it. It just feels, it feels orchestrated. I mean, this doesn't feel like normal Storm or the normal way of doing X-Business, right? Though, I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, that might just be the entire point. So, the presentation made me uncomfortable. I can't say I didn't like it. It made me uncomfortable. But, just like the rest of this story so far, a little bit excited about what might be coming down the pike, because... It's, I mean, we've seen mutants be proud before, but this was like almost like blind. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I, I can't wait to see if it goes somewhere. Uh, the United Nations scene kind of was what it was. Uh, it was definitely necessary to tell this story, but it's one of the aspects of the story that I'm least interested in. Um, it's not quite as bad as the X-Men 1000, but it's... Uh, you know, I, what I don't want this to become is, like, future issues full of scenes of Xavier and Magneto, like, bellying up to the table, bargaining with Doctor Doom or Black Panther, trying to come to, like, a trade deal. That might just be me. I'm sure there are folks out there who would really dig something like that. I do remember part of the, uh, I think, probably, like, two-thirds through the Christopher Priest Black Panther run, there was uh, a lot of that sort of... Uh, Sort of a storytelling there You had, uh, you know, Black Panther Representing Wakanda You had Magneto representing Genosha Before, you know, post-Magneto War Pre-genocide uh, 
yeah, Doctor Doom uh, representing Latveria, and those were some those are some great comics. So I mean, maybe that is a a direction I'd like to see it go in. I just I don't know. I feel like I feel like we're we're a little too close to reality these days with comics, and I, I just don't want to uh, I don't want to give the writers the inch because I know I know they'll take the mile. Um, the final scene, Krakoa being for every mutant. Uh, this scene answered a lot of my questions. Now I didn't go into this Dawn of X by reading Hoxbox. I've I've said that many times. I came in with X Men number one, just <clears throat> thinking that I'd be able to jump in. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. I do remember reading Excalibur number one. I think it was Excalibur number one uh, from the Dawn of X, and uh, couldn't for the life of me figure out why Apocalypse was part of this book, and I couldn't reconcile that he was, you know, with the heroes. And it was actually one of the things that stopped me from reading on. It's one of those... It was one of those, you know, stomp on the brakes moments, and I got to do my homework and figure out what, you know, what what brought us to this point. And now I know, a year later. <laughs> um, I think this is a very interesting bit. I like it, though it makes me wonder just who the X-Men will be fighting against when we finally enter into the, you know, the Dawn of X proper. Are we going to get more X-Men versus Heroes? I know we are going to get an X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries that I actually can't wait for because I'm hoping that uh, that Franklin will uh, come into play there. So I'm hoping that is going to be a lot of fun. But I really don't need to see the X-Men fighting the Avengers again. I don't need to see them fighting the Inhumans again. Um, and again, this is just me predicting and going off of Marvel's pattern of behavior over the past you know 15 years. Are they going to be fighting humans? Are they going to be fighting you know, mutant hate groups? Um, are they going to be fighting mutant holdouts to Krakoa? Or are we going to get more generic antler-headed aliens? Uh, I mean, could it be new characters? Uh, I mean, stranger things have happened, though I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, I guess we'll find out together. Or I'll find out, and, uh, and, and you can listen to me find out, because most of you have already found out. But I think... That's really all I've got to say about this issue. Um, just a, a great issue all around. Um, just when I think that, you know, usually when you get the answers that you're looking for, and I've been talking about, you know, what this opening scene to House of X uh, number one meant for several episodes now. And uh, usually in comics, when you get your answer, it's like, okay, let's move on. Here, I, I can't help but to dwell on it, because there is just so much to it. And this fundamentally changes everything. And I don't know, because we still don't have a confirmation or verification on when these scenes are happening. I'm assuming they're present day, but for all I know, maybe they were two years ago. And everything that stemmed from, everything that we know actually stemmed from these scenes. I don't know. Or maybe... I mean, Mora is on the cover of House of X number six, or or, Dawn, or Powers of X number six, whatever issue. She's on the cover. She could die, and we could enter Mora the 11th, and none of this could have happened. Um, or a lot of it might have been shaken out. So we'll find out, or I'll find out. Uh, I can't wait, though. This is uh, very, very exciting, and uh, I haven't been this excited about the X-Books 
probably in near 20 years. I've read most of them since then, but I haven't been happy about it. <laughs> so, uh, good issue. Great, great issue. Uh, so far, having a blast. So, uh, we'll wrap up the comic portion here, and we'll jump into a little bit of feedback I got right now. Now, this is from our friend Damien Druitt-Whiter, who I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. If I'm not, please let me know. And this is regarding Episode 7. He starts with, uh, another great episode. I just wanted to add my opinion on the telepathic pool thing. I read it as them saying that Professor X and Jean are both able to send message at a planetary level, but that they need a booster to go interplanetary. I know that telepathy is often shown as limitless in comics, but I quite like the idea of limitations on powers. If everyone becomes godlike, then there are no stakes. And uh, that's a very good point. I agree 100%. It's just not something I ever thought about. I swear that I've I swear that I've seen Jean and Xavier or whoever make telepathic contact while separated by uh, light years. Is that is that the distance in space? Uh, though I could easily be misremembering. Um, it just feels like they were always sort of in contact, no matter the distance between them. But I, I do like the idea of uh, them needing a booster here. I I'm a big proponent of limitations on powers. Uh, the you know the example I always go back to. When I think about something like that, is a uh, is Superman during the uh, the Exile storyline where he needed you know a breathing apparatus to survive in space because they you know they took a little bit of, of the god out of his uh, out of his shorts you know uh, he was no longer a character who could you know push suns and push moons and and do all sorts of crazy stuff now yeah there were limitations which as uh, Damien points out here that that raises the stakes that gives us stakes. And so I do, I do like that. I, I uh, you know, I was a little off put by it or confused by it when I saw it. But uh, especially, you know, after reading this issue and uh, Magneto and Polaris talking so much about society, and in society, you know, everyone has a role. And in that scene with the, you know, the, the telepathy pool, everyone had a role. You know, there were cuckoos involved, uh, Beast, uh, Trinary, and uh, and Storm were there. Everybody was playing a role, uh, doing their part, helping the society. Um, so I do like that. I do very much like that. I just didn't think about it at the time. Uh, back to his uh, to Damien's message. He says, One of my favorite things about Hoxpox is that it was a completely new start. Over the years, I've repeatedly tried to get back into the X-Men, most recently with the Blue and Gold launch, and each time I ended up lost. Here, here, <laughs> I can definitely relate. And uh, one of the things that I've uh, that I've said a lot um, during the uh, past few X-Men relaunches was that you know I tried it with the best of intentions, but when I opened it, I didn't recognize anybody. And that's a line I've actually gotten a little bit of clapback for, you know, like people are like, well, how didn't you recognize them? It's all the same people. But, you know, something happened um, following probably the Morrison run where uh, I, I hate using the uh, John Byrne phrase, which I use all the time. Um, for the longest time, comics have become more about the singer and less about the song. That's something that John Byrne has uh, said often. And it's... Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, Morrison left, so it all became about Joss Whedon. You know, it became about the Buffy guy doing X-Men. It was, it was not an X-Men book. It was the Buffy guy's X-Men book. Because um, I've walked away 
from the X-Men several times, and I've discussed them in various episodes of uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths, uh, formerly re-Marvel episodes that I renumbered into Chris's on Infinite Earths to keep better track of them. But uh, I've told these stories before. I left in 1995 after reading, or not, not even after reading, but after seeing that X-Men number 45 was going to be an oversized, overpriced, gimmicked book. I walked away. And uh, I would come back a couple years later, and I felt like I hadn't missed a beat. And a lot of stuff had gone down in the interim. I mean, Onslaught happened. Operation Zero Tolerance happened. There were some pretty big steps. Uh, we, you know, Scott Lobdell was gone. But I, ne- I didn't feel like I missed a beat. It felt like the same characters. It felt like, felt like home. You know, uh, I, I walked away in 2002 for probably about six months, uh, just out of lack of, lack of funds, lost my job. And when I came back, it felt like I hadn't missed a beat. You know, I, I was still able to recognize everyone. They, they still felt like old friends. Uh, 2008, lost a job again, dropped out of comics, came back probably a year and a half, two years later. Still recognized all the characters. Um, come 2015, post Secret Wars, um, and especially with this Blue and Gold run, I was still reading the X Men, and I didn't recognize them. It was just these weren't the same characters from one month to the next. It felt like this became more about the writer or the creative team selling themselves rather than. Taking and this is me projecting, and I and I know I do that a lot. Uh, rather than taking a vested interest in preserving the characters and 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 keeping them on spec, it became about the writer channeling their voice through these characters. Um, one of the runs I think about is the Matt Fraction run, which I did not like. I didn't like it all because it felt like. You weren't reading an X-Men book, you were reading a Matt Fraction book. That just happened to have X-Men in the title. Um, it became more about him doing his regular gags, his his wacky captions, and the X-Men were kind of background. Um, yeah, and, you, you know, even if you compare that with the Morrison run, which was pretty groundbreaking and pretty, uh, you know, earth-shattering for what came before it, that always felt like an X-Men book to me. It didn't feel like a Grant Morrison book posing as an X-Men book. It felt like an X-Men book that just happened to be written by Grant Morrison. Maybe that's just my personal preference, uh, but I don't know. I don't even know where I'm headed with this uh, <laughs> with this little cutaway. But uh, uh, I felt lost going month to month, um, which is never a good place to be. And, uh, you know, for the first time ever... Well, not ever, but for the first time in a long time This hoxpox docks landscape feels like As different as it is, it feels like the X-Men um, Now back to Damien's message He says, it's nice to have a genuine jumping on point Where my lack of knowledge of post-Morrison continuity is not an impediment He wraps up with, I'm loving the series And I'm sure I will keep annoying you with my corrections Thanks for producing this uh, it, These aren't... Uh, Please don't. It's. I mean, please don't think you're annoying me. This is. Uh, I love this. This is. This is the stuff that I. Uh, that I was hoping to get out of this series here. Um, I, I love the dialogue. I love the uh, the engagement. So definitely keep. You know, keep giving me your thoughts as we work our way through this here. I, I love to hear people's thoughts um, about just everything. And you know, on that subject here, 
this was uh, a biggie. So I want to thank everyone for not spoiling it for me. And also open up the, uh, the channels of communication here. I want to hear what your guys' thoughts were when the, these resurrections happened here. Uh, this is a pretty big deal. So I want to hear what everybody thought of these uh, these resurrections here. Did you have similar feelings as me, which would be conflicted? Were you all in? Were you all out? Um, I could see this being, uh, you know, a game-changer, deal-maker, deal-breaker sort of an issue. I could see X-Men fans walk away after this issue. I could see X-Men fans jump on after this issue because it's just, it's just that... You know, groundbreaking. It's just that big a deal. So uh, please keep these uh, letters, comments, and tweets coming at me. I, I love seeing them. I, I absolutely do. It means it means the world to me that that, that folks would take time out of their day to uh, not only listen to uh, me spit into a microphone, but also uh, you know engage with me. That's that's just what this is all about, right? Uh, so thank you, Damien, for the message. Um, I'm in full agreement that uh, I'm happy that this sort of just came out of nowhere and hit the ground running. Uh, it put us all on a level playing field with House of X number one. Um, I, from what I hear, nobody was prepared for it. And uh, I think that's a good place to be as, a, as an X-Fan community. You know, uh, none of us really have a leg up. And actually, if you think about it, having a leg up might be, might be a, uh, a handicap. You know, uh, because people like me are just so stuck in the past and stuck in the symbolism, stuck in the scenery, that uh, we might not be able to receive the story quite the way it's intended uh, as compared to people coming in fresh. So I, I think there's probably, it's a, maybe it's a grass is greener on the other, on the other side sort of a situation, but uh, I'm happy to be part of the conversation now, and I'm happy that there are folks uh, who, are, who are listening and enjoying I think that's uh, where we'll leave it for today. Uh, if you'd like to reach out, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com or at the, uh, on the, the show post at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. I'm probably going to be doing a subdomain for Xlapsed before long, and uh, when I do, I'll, I'll share that with everyone here. Um, but for now, I think that's all we got. I, I look forward to hearing what people thought of the big bombshell here. Uh, and until uh, next time, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.